Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 18, Pedagogical Content Knowledge for Student Teachers with Emma. Hello and welcome back to the podcast and uh, the fact that I'm starting the episode off would suggest that we've got something slightly unusual today. It's time for me to turn the tables on the whole how's your doctorate going thing. (laughs) Fair play. (laughs) Since there's been uh, one of me lately, it's time to find out how your your going and listeners will be relieved to hear that Emma has not bailed out of a doctorate she's still doing it yeah I anyone who ever asked me about it I always say that I'm at the foot of a massive mountain (laughs) Everest if you will um I'm significantly further behind (laughs) than Tom with mine but that's because it's really hard I I was thinking about how I was going to start this podcast and I thought i first of all ought to start by saying if anybody out there is trying to do a doctorate or a professional doctorate or whatever version of a doctorate you're doing whilst maintaining your day job I salute you and I understand your pain (laughs) and pleasure in equal measures (laughs) because that's what it it, it is and I should probably also say that if any of you did listen to my first episode, which was, I think, about two seasons oh, ages ago. ago, yeah. Yeah, well, I had a bit of a gap. Uh, I managed to do the first module, had a bit of a gap, but I also, in that gap, had to sort of reconsider my focus, mainly because it, for, for all the best intentions, it, 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 despite all my best intentions, it wasn't close enough to my practice. Um, and so I had to try and bring it back into what was sort of closest to what I had control over, access to. Um, And I think it was the right move because I found that it's been easier to uh, to manage as a result of that. So for those of you who are interested, I originally set out to investigate if there was any similarity um, and what I can learn from um, how directors are trained um, in their sort of novice stage and if there was any parallel between how directors are trained and educated and how drama teachers are educated, educated and trained. That whole world is quite new to me, director education and training. And, and for those reasons, it was becoming quite difficult to um, to manage and, and to consider how I was going to access that easily and get this doctorate done before I'm 50. <laughs> so um, I ditched that bit. Um, I kind of stayed with the essence of, of my why, which was I wanted to help mentors and wanted to help student drama teachers. So I'm still, you know, focusing on them because they are within my control and power. <laughs> Not really. (laughs) They are the people who I work most closely with. Um, But my focus has changed significantly um, to look at pedagogical content knowledge and pedagogical reasoning and action. So we uh, threw the theatre directors overboard. We're just looking at how the student drama teachers learn um, and what we can do about it. And you're right, you've pulled out this thing, pedagogical content knowledge, which is a really seminal thing, isn't it? Do you want to just kind of explain to us about pedagogical content knowledge yeah i'll try my best to do it in 
not too many words. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to equally don't want to devalue the vast amount of work that went into it. You know, if you if you know of pedagogical content knowledge, then you'll probably know with the name Lee Shulman um, and others, I might add. But Lee Shulman sort of coined the phrase and this kind of came out of uh, his specific interest with other researchers in the United States in subject matter knowledge, in teachers' subject matter knowledge. And also he felt that by investigating how novice teachers learn and um, develop their their knowledge for teaching, and this kind of sits within a broader sort of curiosity about and research interest in the teacher knowledge base, if he could look at how novices sort of developed that um, for teaching, and this was specifically in the secondary setting, then he might um, go some way towards understanding how expert teachers have managed to sort of do what they do, which on face value might seem seamless. You know, the act of teaching, as we've explored in previous episodes, is incredibly complex, but to the untrained eye might seem really easy and not as complex as it as it would appear. This also came from an interest in what is going on cognitively inside the brain of the teacher. Um, because what he saw at the time when he was um, working within this research domain was um, an overriding approach to teacher education and conception of, of how teachers learn as being a more sort of process product driven approach. So what are the sort of point atable practices that teachers can do? What do we know about how pupils learn and the practices that are best at facilitating that? If we know about all of those things, then we'll teach them those methods and they'll become great teachers. But what he and others identified as being the missing paradigm in all of this to the teacher knowledge base was the knowledge that argues that the knowledge of a um, of a content specialist is different from that of a pedagogue. Put simply, pedagogical content knowledge is an amalgam of disciplinary content knowledge, so the stuff that you know about your subject and pedagogical knowledge. And what the teacher does and what Shulman's research proved or went some way towards proving was that the teacher goes through this process of translation and integration. All my reading has kind of brought me back to those two words regularly where the teacher is translating what they know about their subject matter. So subject matter knowledge, content knowledge, what they want to teach with what they know about pedagogy in order to make it useful to the learners they've got in front of them. And that process is translational and integrative because it translates content into something teachable and it integrates other forms of knowledge in the process. So I've got a nice um, quote here from Shulman, which exemplifies some of these processes and the component parts of knowledge. So he says, PCK, pedagogical content knowledge, embodies the aspect of content most germane to its teachability. Within the category of pedagogical content knowledge, I include for the most generally taught subjects 
in one subject area, the most useful forms of representations of those ideas, the most powerful analogies, illustrations, examples, explanations and demonstrations. In a word, the ways of representing and formulating the subject that make it, make it comprehensible to others. And I'll just pause there and just say that another way this has been referred to is that like an expert teacher builds up this massive storehouse of ways of representing, of teaching different concepts, content that are are linked to their subject discipline, to their subject domain. And you build those up over time. And the more that you build those up, by thinking about them and through the act of teaching because this is a, a, a knowledge in action as well pedagogical content knowledge happens in the moment in the lesson develops there too it's quite time it can be viewed as being quite dynamic through that process you come to sort of new understandings of the content as well so it's kind of like this symbiotic nature between like what do I know about the content what do I know about my pupils? How can I represent it in a way that they're going to understand it? And coming back to that quote, it also includes an understanding of what makes the learning of specific topics easy or difficult. And I, just to interject here, this is what makes it quite difficult for novice teachers. Going back to Shulman, he says the conceptions and preconceptions that students or pupils, as we would say, of different ages and backgrounds bring with them to the learning. So that would imply that it's also the job of the teacher when developing pedagogical content knowledge to integrate their knowledge of their learners and their knowledge of what common <clears throat> misconceptions um, challenges are generally associated with that topic and what they know from working closely with those pupils from assessing them from understanding about their prior knowledge so it's translational it's integrative and the thing I really love about it that really grabbed me is that Shum referred to pedagogical content knowledge as teacher's own special form of professional understanding so for me, it became quite compelling because I felt that if I'm trying to work with new teachers and develop them as professionals, then I really ought to be giving them um, an understanding of and ways of developing their own special form of professional understanding. And this is really interesting because it's, again, we've said this before, haven't we? Isn't it lovely when you find something that kind of explains something that you sort of knew but it's lovely to have it written down in black and white. And that is this this idea, and I suppose this is a broad hint to anyone that might be applying for the programme or thinking about going into teaching, that actually being a really good teacher of subject X doesn't just involve being really good at subject X or knowing a huge amount about it, you know, my own subject. Just being a great musician or knowing an enormous amount about music is not automatically going to make you a great teacher of music. No, absolutely that. In fact, you know, it, what I probably should have said at the start as well is that this was 1986, 1987 um, that the concept of PCK was put forward. It does have its roots in other theorists. Dewey comes up a lot. Um, Dewey talks about how, you know, a scientist is very different from a teacher of science. Um, you can trace that back to some of Dewey's early work. But um, since Shulman's key sort of seminal papers were published, there's been a lot of effort to try and investigate this and to empirically see if it if it is true, if it if it happens, how it happens. And one of the things that comes out of that is that it's not a given that if you have got 
really expert subject matter knowledge that you are going to be good at pedagogical content knowledge or, or, or be able to develop it. It is a precursor. It does help to have better um, and stronger subject matter knowledge to develop pedagogical content knowledge but it's not a given that if you've got that that you are going to be able to do it more easily in fact is weirdly sometimes a bit of a impediment isn't it i'm thinking about our new student teachers they often come at things from far too high up they assume too many things that, yeah. that the pupils are going to know um, because they kind of live and breathe it. it's really hard to kind of come back off your perch a little bit when you start teaching and come back down to the pupils level yeah i think we talked about this a lot it's about sort of yeah it's very difficult to sort of deconstruct how you came to know something and also your perspective as a learner in the classroom would not necessarily have made you abundantly aware of what your teacher was doing and why they were doing it and how they got you there so you know that whole as we we say this to our student our candidates who apply to the programs is that you know some one of the main things that we're going to be teaching you to do is and we never say it as pck but that's what we're implying is that our job on a pgc program amongst myriad other aspects of the knowledge base is to help you translate your expert subject knowledge into that which is going to be usable in a teaching context and i suppose without derailing us too far you know kick me one under the table if this has taken us too far off into the weeds but I'm I sort of have this instinct that perhaps the way that you come to know something potentially looks a little bit different in in different subjects as well yes yeah and I don't want to get us into the weeds too too much about this but this is something that comes up in the original papers like um so Shulman was a student of Schwab who amongst probably other things that I don't know about was interested in in science education and he wrote sort of a a series of papers that put forward the idea that every discipline has substantive structures and syntactic structures so the substantive being the what that we teach so the concepts the content and then the syntactic being how those things are organized um how the discipline is sort of organized made up and how it sort of advances truth how it tests truth how it advances knowledge and so when you apply that to different disciplines i think this is where you start to realize how learning and teaching operates have to operate differently in different disciplines and then you come back to you know your your position as a teacher educator and you start to realize how and why teaching your student teachers like you taught your pupils in that discipline is not going to work um, and it's not going to be the same as helping them to come to an understanding of that subject from a teacher's perspective. I probably not made much sense there, but um, it's worth having a look at some of that Schwab work. because I think it's it's driving a lot. Um, it's helping teachers who are curriculum designers a lot to think about, you know, what is my discipline? How does it operate? What is it for? Because all of that will be feeding into your choices when it comes to pedagogical content knowledge. Yeah, and it's kind of quite a nice antidote isn't it i suppose to some of the quite black and white stuff you see floating around right this is how you be a teacher Mm. you know it's all about xyz Mm. cognitive science says you know all these kind of slightly obnoxious things that you can stick in a tweet (laughs) yeah it really does i mean what what what, i I mean i would urge 
everyone, if they can, if they can make the time to go back to some of Shulman's original 1986-97 papers, I'll I'll name drop them at the end of the podcast. But um, he writes in a really accessible way, for one. But two, because the research that he did originally was with novices and involved them doing quite a lot of journaling, there are some really interesting insights that you get just by reading the thought process of a novice. Like there's an example of an English teacher who is um, thinking about how they're going to introduce Julius Caesar to a group of ninth graders, how he's going to find a way in, what he knows about the, the learners. Like there's a, a really nice moment where he thinks, right, I'm going to need to use an analogy that they'll understand. And he chooses Star Trek. He uses Captain Kirk. In a different extract, there's an English teacher who's trying to think about how they would teach theme. And he uses baseball as an analogy. It doesn't land with the pupils. He has to go back to the drawing board. He decides on a different one. So just reading those instances really helped me to reflect as well on on how I go about thinking about something I'm about to teach. And and you'll instantly sort of recognise some of the parts of this integration process that Shulman talks about as being true, true to what you do and what goes through your mind. Um, There's another interesting one, actually, just going back to this idea of, you know, the more you know your subject, the more adept you'll become potentially at PCK. So this is an argument for having that rich subject knowledge, is that there was a teacher who her thing was English literature. In those instances, you know, she was able to, in the moment, draw upon different representations of the things she was trying to teach even though she hadn't planned them so she could really range in her pedagogical approaches because she had that knowledge of the subject she could sort of move around the discipline um, and help the pupils find new ways in that same teacher was asked to teach a, a lesson in grammar and what happened because she was far less confident and competent in that subject matter knowledge was that she sort of regressed to rote learning which kept her at a distance the learners at a distance from her it prevented the pupils and probably not intentionally but this was a byproduct they they didn't ask many questions she didn't want to be asked questions because she didn't want to be exposed for her lack of subject knowledge so subject matter knowledge really does matter when it comes to pedagogical content knowledge and teaching more generally um but just the point i'm making here is if you go back to those original papers you'll find them really sort of illuminating because they're cases that will be really recognizable to you Okay, so you're looking at pedagogical content knowledge. And as you sort of mentioned a little bit earlier on there, this is a really complicated multi-layered thing because these new members of the teaching profession are trying to develop their pedagogical content knowledge and you are trying to use teaching strategies, I guess, to to try and develop their pedagogical content knowledge. There's a whole kind of meta multi-level thing going on here. Yes. Really complicated. (laughs) Yeah, I read a really interesting paper. Basically, it was a science teacher who moved across to teacher education. Um, Physics was his specialism. And he did a sort of self-study where he was reflectively journaling on this transition that he was making. And I think through that process, he was starting to realise that he would need to operate in different ways in order to empower student teachers to develop their pedagogical content knowledge and pedagogical reasoning, which I'll come on to in a moment. And it just really resonated with me that 
Unfortunately, and this is something I've read in a, a very recent article, other teacher educators, Kavanagh et al. In, in the USA, is that there is a paucity of distinctive teacher education pedagogies and approaches that are laid down, that are codified. And being brutally honest, what tends to happen in teacher education if you transition to a higher education institution is that you're kind of left to sort of figure it out (laughs) for yourself, how you're going to work with these student teachers. And so part of my why and my rationale, my aim is to understand what my role is, knowing that I predominantly am working with student teachers in the university setting. However, our model of initial teacher education asks and requires us to work in partnership closely with school-based teacher educators. So my drama mentors working with my student drama teachers who I don't come into contact with anywhere near as much as I would really love to. But um, with regard to pedagogical content knowledge, I need to, with those school-based drama teacher educators, figure out what we can do what we can do that's similar what we can do that's different because of the context that we're working in in with pre-service teachers and um I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to go about that yet but that that is what I want to do and just as a side point I could only find one other study of pre-service drama teachers pedagogical content knowledge that I'm aware of and that's Maggie Pitfield's work she's at uh, Goldsmiths in 2012 she published so that's incredibly useful to me and I'm incredibly grateful that she has done that but I feel duty-bound to build on what she has begun. So there's a gap in the market for teach teachers like a champion and you're going to be the author of that here. (laughs) Make your millions and get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely definitely not. So you mentioned uh, pedagogical reasoning in that last little bit. And that's another term that's come out. Now, I had a sort of, I would admit, I had a sort of hazy understanding of pedagogical content knowledge before you started this exciting project. But pedagogical reasoning is a new one on me. So do you want to just explain? Okay, so this is Shulman's again, and it comes up in those early papers where he's also talking about pedagogical content knowledge and it's the process whereby the teacher draws on the knowledge base for teaching to make wise pedagogical decisions. It's been referred to by Kavanagh et al as the invisible cognitive work of ambitious teaching and in a much more systematic and codified way Shulman puts it down in writing as a cycle of activities that the teacher goes through. Obviously Some of this will happen cognitively in their brain. Some of it will play out in aspects of their practice. Some of it will be done in community contexts with collaborators. This is something, just as a side point, that Shulman and Shulman, that's Judith Shulman and Lee Shulman, come to sort of talk about in about 2004, where they talk about, um, you know, pedagogical content knowledge taking place and building in community contexts and in collaboration but that's a side point so back to pedagogical reasoning and action so the cycle if I just put it quite briefly starts with comprehension so you need to understand the subject matter for yourself before you can teach it so how it links to broader concepts with your discipline and also you need to comprehend well what's the aim or purpose of my teaching of this particular concept content is a 
process of comprehension. Then we come to the process of transformation. And this is where PCK arguably is, is developing dynamically. And they consider, the teacher considers how to teach the content to their pupils. So they start to think, well, how am I going to represent it? How do I need to prepare to do that? What am I going to select from the content? This is where they think about resources. What are going to be the best resources to do that? They might have a resource that they need to translate even further. Sometimes textbooks aren't fit for purpose. They need to be modified for the learners they've got in front of them. Um, So what have I got to do in order to prepare, to represent, to select and to adapt what I know transform it ready for instruction so instruction is the the third phase in the pedagogical reasoning and action cycle so this is where the observable forms of classroom teaching together with other aspects of active teaching sort of come together and it might be that in that moment some more pedagogical reasoning and action is taking place and that pedagogical content knowledge is being drawn upon because they're having to adapt as we know to whatever is happening live in the moment in the act of teaching and working collaboratively with learners. After instruction comes the evaluation stage. I mean, not necessarily after. Most teachers are sort of evaluating, reflecting as they go in the lesson as well. So this is where the teacher is checking for understanding during active teaching. So that's when it's happening live. But it's also the formative and summative assessment that's feeding into whether or not they think the pedagogical approaches worked, had efficacy. And also evaluating their own performance is part of this as well. And then the final two parts of the cycle, we've got reflection, reviewing, reconstructing, reenacting and critically analysing one's own and the class's performance and grounding those explanations in evidence. Um, And as a side point, a lot of research around the development of pedagogical content knowledge um, has shown that interventions that encourage student teachers in particular to reflect really help them to develop pedagogical content knowledge and maybe that's the bit that we don't always have time for and then finally final part of pedagogical reasoning and action new comprehensions new comprehensions of purposes of subject matter of students of teaching of self um, and also consideration of new understandings and learning from experience. So this is the kind of reflexive bit that's also important. You know, what what have I come to understand better about how to teach this particular concept in future? What have I come to know about my students more? What have I come to understand about myself as a teacher? Because this is a bit that by his own admission, Shulman failed to sort of include in his original conception of pedagogical content knowledge was the effective and the motivational and the emotional influence that the teacher brings to bear on their pedagogical choices and the pedagogical reasoning. So yeah, I suppose when you come to those new comprehensions via reflection, you will hopefully understand how to teach your subject a bit better to those pupils that you've got in front of you. So that's pedagogical reasoning and action. Yeah, complicated stuff isn't it and I think the thing that struck me when you were explaining all about I think probably two things that struck me firstly the fact that teachers you know to anyone listening to this that isn't a teacher yet they do maybe 20 of these lessons a week you know that that's kind of number of hours of teaching a week and by absolute kind of necessity and survival instinct all of that stuff that you're talking about becomes kind of automatic or semi-automatic for for teachers just because of the sheer amount of teaching they do and I suppose 
number one that makes it really hard for student teachers because they can't see it going on even though it is going on but actually number two for yourself as a teacher if you are kind of sticking that stuff into the subconscious or the semi-conscious maybe that's that's the way that your teaching gets a bit stuck in a rut and therefore there's a there's an incentive for teachers to kind of pull this stuff out into the open occasionally oh definitely i i i think that studies have found from what i've read that it benefits both pre-service and expert air quotation marks teachers to think about these things on a regular basis i mean we know that education is ever evolving because the more we know about how pupils learn, the more we come to understand all those other intersectional knowledge bases that have a bearing on teaching. You know, as soon as, as you look to what's new, there is a reason to reflect, to articulate your reasoning, to do that with a trusted collaborator so that they can understand your thought process and maybe challenge your thought process too so this is what I really like about it and there's a nice quote here from John Lochran um, who's a big cheese and I think he's Australian in the world of um, teacher education in 2019 he said about of pedagogical reasoning if teaching is to be more highly valued it is important to more closely examine the nature of teachers pedagogical reasoning as it offers a window into the complex and sophisticated knowledge of practice that influences what they do how and why and I suppose as I said when you put that out there it's either going to benefit you, the person you're working with, or both. I, I would argue probably both, um, whether they're an, a novice or an expert. Yeah, I'm kind of winding all the way back, back to the beginning now when I kind of said, isn't it nice when something explains something you kind of knew? And I'm thinking back to when I was a school-based teacher educator, you know, a mentor, we call them. Mm. And I used to love having students. And the reason I used to love having student teachers was because it made me work out why I was doing things that I'd stopped thinking about I remember thinking that and I also used to not necessarily be that cross if I got sent a really weak student teacher either now you know some school colleagues get a bit cross if you send them a weak student teacher don't they but I used to quite like it because it forced me to pull apart even the most basic things that I really really had stopped thinking about like getting the class in and sat down and paying attention at the start of the lesson I used to find it it felt like it was really good for me and I guess now I know why <laughs> yeah yeah I th codifying these things is no bad thing and I think what's been quite explosive about the work of Lee Shulman and others is that when you lay it down in that sort of codified systematic format people can test it they can use it they can and, and they have they've used it either to explicitly teach it to student teachers or to in-service teachers or they've used it as an instructional method within ITE, or they've used it to research empirically whether PCK is a thing or how pedagogical reasoning is happening. So as soon as you write those theories down, codify them, they become useful in some way to the profession. Okay, so you're professional doctorate is a little bit different from my PhD I mean I think I explained in the episode when you were grilling me that I wasn't actually under any obligation to do anything useful with mine whereas you kind of are I suppose you're you're trying to improve things for yourself and for the education community at large so I suppose as part of this you're trying to untangle what this means for your role as a university-based mm. educator of student teachers and for your 
very valued subject specialist colleagues out there in drama departments all over the place and you know we're trying to bring school and university together as much as we possibly can trying to get rid of that them and us but they are different places and so I guess those roles are different so having done an absolute truckload of reading and not necessarily (laughs) having kind of fully formed conclusions on this Mm. because I guess this is what you're trying to find out Mm. what do you think right now about your role and what do you think about about your school colleagues, your, your specialist drama teacher's role in terms of what, what they do for student teachers? Yeah, OK. So there are, I think there are some things that, that are common to both teacher educators. And the first one that seems to come up again and again, which seems like an obvious one, but might not be abundantly obvious, is to understand that PCK is a thing and that pedagogical reasoning and action are also a thing. So to be provided with those frameworks, I have found them because I have, you know, I've I stumbled across it in a book and thought that's really interesting and, and, I'm, and I'm researching it. But I can't assume that my school-based teacher educators know it. And in fact, there was a, a really recent systematic literature review of intervention studies for PCK development, which found that one of the top things that made a difference was the the people who were trying to develop their pedagogical non- content knowledge being aware that it is a thing. Mm-hmm. So I know it seems like an obvious one, but I need to work with my school-based teacher educators, not to just give it to them, to work with them to understand whether it is a thing and if it operates specifically in distinctive ways in drama education. So that's kind of an important step for both parties. When it comes to, I'll start with the the school-based teacher educators, so my drama mentors. We talked about this uh, previously, but a powerful thing that they can do is to explicate their knowledge to pre-service teachers and to relate it, if they can, to theory, which sounds like a sort of a big thing, but, you know, we can use theory with a, big and a small t can't we (laughs) in the same ways we do with research um what we're really talking about there is that they make the implicit explicit which we've talked about in previous um episodes but if they've got a bit of a model of how they can do that which pedagogical reasoning provides they might be able to do that in a slightly more systematic way even better if and this is what some of some studies have found even better if they can do that connected to concerns that arise from the student teacher's practice. Um, Now, they might not be able to identify these early on when they're on practicum, which is just a fancy way of saying their placements. (laughs) But I'm reading a lot of literature which uses practicum. That's kind of the American, North American thing. Yeah, it it is, it is. Um, But um, there's a big sort of emphasis on how pedagogical reasoning is used in moments of sort of dilemma uh, pedagogical dilemmas and some studies where student teachers have been either doing some teaching on practicum or in the university in a micro teaching context where when they identify what they feel to be a pedagogical dilemma helping them unpack it through pedagogical reasoning can help them to know what they need to do next in their own learning to move themselves forward so explicate why you're doing what you're doing And even better if you can do that when it's identified as an issue that the student teacher needs help with and and doesn't quite understand. 
Another thing that came out of what my reading was offering them the freedom to explore, experiment and reflect and also to risk take. A recent study of two pre-service science teachers' development of pedagogical content knowledge found that too much prescription in planning actually led to an inhibiting effect on PCK development. And the same study found that pedagogical content knowledge development occurred most during the planning and the reflection phases of teaching. So you've got to give them a little bit of leeway, a bit of uh, some opportunity to um, make their own choices and learn from those choices when planning and then help them when they're reflecting to understand why or why not they worked. Um, Tough sell that, isn't it? Because it's not always an easy, easy one to sell to mentors. But I guess that's the bit you can slow down, isn't it? The planning and the reflection, whereas the teaching's going to happen at the speed it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said about the team teaching process as well. We've talked about this as well in previous lessons. So if you want to slow things down for the teacher and get them to really concentrate and um, experiment um, in a way that's controlled and it's not going to do some serious damage. <laughs> yeah then team teach and you know we've talked about this before but if there's a bit that they've been struggling with then you model it you take that bit free them up so that they can maybe even formally observe what you're doing then use pedagogical reasoning model to explain to them how you did and why you did what you did and maybe get them to do that bit themselves and reflect on it you know it's 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 that process that cyclical process that will help them right this is an important one again a little bit controversial they need to move beyond tips and tricks the more you can get them to reflect and to offer to you their reasoning and not simply emulate what they're seeing you do, the the more they're going to learn. So Lochran says, through exploring pedagogical reasoning, the way of practice quickly surfaces and offers insights into understandings for teachers' knowledge for, in and of practice. So actually, it could be argued that if you're getting them to explain their pedagogical reasoning, you will reach and me as well, this applies to me as a, as a university-based teacher educator, a better understanding of what they're struggling with. You will understand how they're learning better if they talk to you rather than um, if you sort of giving them tips and tricks and you're, um, something we see quite often is, oh, you know, I've told them this, I've told them this, I've told them this time and time again, we're giving them the same feedback. Okay, you're giving them the same feedback. Have they really understood why you're giving them that feedback? and why they need to do that thing that you're telling them to do. Because if they don't, then they're just emulating. They are uh, mimicking without fully understanding the, the reasoning and rationale beneath it. And so it's really important that as an antidote to that tips and tricks approach to move towards pedagogical reasoning as a teacher education approach. And then getting them to unearth these critical incidents, getting them to, as they become more proficient in their practice, to identify and and nominate to you what these critical incidents, when they've just taught a lesson, are, and then encouraging them to reflect on them and identify their own knowledge and learning needs from that process, because that's what's going to hopefully help them become more autonomous when they don't have you to coach them through that process. So coming to me then, something I stumbled across that's quite interesting in a recent paper 
this is that Kavanagh et al. that I mentioned earlier. They referred to the work of Grossman et al. 2009. And they identify three really common teacher education pedagogies that, from what I can see, seem to slow down the process of teaching and combine it with pedagogical reasoning. And there are these three common practices in teacher education, some of which can play out in practicum but some of them are really common more common in universities so they are representations of practice so this is where student teachers watch videos examine case studies and you model teaching to them so they're all representations of teaching that you can interpolate with pedagogical reasoning you can either tell them your pedagogical reasoning you can question them you can manufacture moments you can pause a video and say right the pupil is answered in this way where could you go next how could you represent this in a different way what would you need to do so those are representations of practice decompositions of practice is another one this is where we break down the complex work of teaching into named parts. So we might get them to focus on and deliberately practice sort of individual aspects of a bigger whole, of a more complex whole of teaching. And again, you could use pedagogical reasoning to sort of really pull apart some of those decompositions and, and really look at them closely and then even better if you can then put them back into a complex teaching scenario maybe you could do some micro teaching with them or maybe you could say right try this now when you go back to practicum and then approximations of practice so this is where we simulate teaching with student teachers and this is where we can do it in safe waters so low low stakes environments and this is really important when it's a complex aspect of practice because they need that simulation to really sort of again slow down the process combine it with pedagogical reasoning so they can think about what they're doing more deliberatively micro teaching is another one that's that, that falls under that category so those are all things that in the university context because we do have the luxury of time and the other important thing we have other student teachers trained to be drama teachers they learn from one another really effectively they can gain alternative perspectives because ultimately they're going to come at drama education from different standpoints so hearing how others might find a way forward in their pedagogical reasoning can be really influential and beneficial and you can't always do that in practicum because often our student teachers go in solo <laughs> as one drama teacher they might have some other expressive arts teachers but they're often working alone as a subject uh, specialist pre-service drama teacher so in university context we can get them working collaboratively within that community of practice and then of course as teacher educators we need to teach them how to reflect on their practice paying close attention to reflexivity and metacognition thinking about their own thinking as teachers talked a lot there sorry no that's fine it's interesting because it kind of points up this central importance of pedagogical content knowledge as the kind of thing that binds us together as school and university and yet also makes the case for the importance of the two contexts you know it's really neat i think in that way yeah i mean i i think the thing that is is missing that they're never going to give us resource and time to do is i would love to be meeting 
at least twice a half term with my mentors to talk to them about the pedagogical dilemmas that they're facing with their student teachers so that I can intervene and work with them to come up with teacher education pedagogies that will help to solve those problems because we've got this whole other knowledge base as teacher educators not only do we need to have the pedagogical content knowledge knowledge of curriculum knowledge of our students that our student teachers need and that our mentors need but we also need to have a whole other raft of distinctive teacher education pedagogies in order to help guide our students but also to help support our mentors Definitely. And just thinking now, because we know that some of our listeners will be current pre-service teachers, as they call them, across the pond, and and some might be aspiring teachers. And so far, we've talked about you and we've talked about the the serving teachers and at the moment the students kind of this this passive kind of thing sitting in the middle of it all going on what about them is are there any insights for for what they ought to be doing while they're while they're learning yeah I mean I don't I kind of I need to stay true here to Shulman and I know that we'll have teachers pre-service teachers out there trainee teachers out there listening who are both primary and secondary and I I must say I know less and I think generally less is known about pedagogical content knowledge development of elementary school teachers about primary school teachers however there is a lot which suggests that it just seems so obvious to me that the more you know what you're teaching the better and more adept you'll become at representing that pedagogically with your learners and to for your learners so I think something to do is to ask yourself how much do I know this content concept that I'm trying to teach who can I get to help me what resources have I got to help me and what do I think my pupils might find challenging about it what do I think is challenging about it you know put your self back into the sort of learner's shoes on this and if you need to sort of commandeer some support from your mentor on that front from your university-based teacher educator on that front that's not going to be time wasted that's going to be really beneficial to you and, I, and we were talking about this the other day Tom actually it's, it's probably a question you need to ask yourself at the planning stage and to get a steer on if you're brand new to this class what are they going to find challenging about it What I would urge you to do as well is to think about your own thinking, reflect on the thought processes that you go through and the knowledge base that you draw upon to plan to teach and evaluate your lessons. And using something like Shulman's model of pedagogical reasoning might identify to you what you're not thinking about, the sort of gaps in your reasoning that are maybe the reason why certain things aren't landing. Maybe you're not thinking enough about what your pupils already know. Maybe you're not reflecting on how maybe when you taught that particular text, you were doing it in a way that was rooted in what you love and enjoy about that text and you weren't really thinking, well, what what's going to be the best way in for my learners and what do I know about them and their community in, in order to teach them in a way that's going to really switch them on to, to what I'm trying to teach. Specific questions need to be asked to your mentor to unearth and unpack aspects of their practice you're trying to master and understand better. Something that the researchers identified is that student teachers can sometimes not want to rock the boat with their mentors and it can be tricky to navigate if 
you want to do something in a certain way and your mentor has told you to do it in another way. So to tackle that, I think the first step is to try and understand why they do it the way they do. Um, So don't be afraid to ask questions. I've talked about novice questions on this podcast a lot and Tom alluded to it earlier on about how when you're working with a student teacher, you can be forced to justify what you're doing and to think about what you're doing. And that might be a way into you expressing an alternative way of trying to do it so question ask questions questioning 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 really important collaborate with your peers and teacher educators peer collaboration is really important listening to how your fellow pre-service teachers are reasoning are acting on placement they're going to be doing things slightly differently how they think about the content that they're trying to teach maybe differently to you different ways in and listen to your learners. I cannot stress this enough. This can be really difficult in those early days of practicum when you don't know them. But the more you understand how they're learning and take steps before and after your lessons to reflect on how they're responding to your pedagogical approaches, the more adept you're going to become at tailoring your provision to what they need. There are lots of studies where student teachers have made assumptions about how pupils are going to react in fact there's one in the primary phase where um, science pre-service primary science teachers are going to do an experiment with their pupils in the primary phase some of them really quite young and they expect that these pupils are going to be asking a lot of why and how questions and they also expect that the pupils are going to love experimenting and no surprises, neither of those things happened for some of the pupils they had in front of them. So, you know, there was a moment of pedagogical dilemma. There was a complex issue of practice that they needed to reflect on in order to go, okay, we made some assumptions there. We need to not make those assumptions again because we're going to get the same results and we might sort of, you know ostracize some of those pupils that might otherwise have been really switched on in if we'd done it in a different way so listen to your learners Mm, i'm just going to throw this out a little bit wider just for a second and i mean thinking about this whole pedagogical content knowledge thing yes we set out the fact that you know it's not just about knowing a lot about your subject but that you know knowing a lot about your subject is kind of quite handy i know you talked about that that student teacher you know going from english literature to grammar you know is even within the same subject she was a little bit shaky I feel like this is another signpost of help and and support and structure for some of these discussions going on at the moment around curriculum design, curriculum for Wales, breaking down the boundaries between subject disciplines. Again, we sort of feel that this stuff is built on a solid bed of subject discipline. It sounds like this might be another way into perhaps being a little bit careful about what we do there. Yes, I I agree with you. Um, I think what's interesting about Curriculum for Wales is only um, a select few teachers were involved in the high level design phase so their pedagogical reasoning they probably came up against a load of dilemmas about curriculum design that they had to navigate I know because I was in the room with some of the expressive arts pioneers uh, and people who are now trying teachers who are trying to work with that haven't gone on that journey and so there is an argument to we've said it so many times but to take the time to go through this process of reasoning deliberation you know really thinking about what you teach how you teach why you teach it 
and why it's best for the learners in front of you. I'm not going to go over the the same levers that will make that possible again because we've said it time and time again on this podcast but hopefully what I'm talking to you about on this podcast is going some way towards proving why that task cognitively is incredibly challenging Mm, and understanding that our pedagogical content knowledge may overlap with with that of others but sometimes it may not and that'll be for very very good reasons I guess yeah yeah absolutely but that's someone else's Eddie isn't it <laughs> yeah it is I mean that's it I cut I have to draw the line somewhere I mean you know yeah. b- b- teachers beliefs teachers values teacher teachers subjectivities so all of those feed into that process and I think it's part of the reason why sometimes pre-service drama teachers and pre-service teachers in general come into a department and go this doesn't work for me and it's probably because philosophically they're at odds with their mentor about their conception of the discipline so taking the time we don't have the luxury of time to go back to what is our discipline what is it for what is my philosophy we try but that it's years it's your life's work I think coming up with your philosophy for for teaching your subject if you're secondary in particular yeah absolutely well let's uh let's wrap that discussion up there with a slightly depressing uh, um, mention of our life's work (laughs) we're on a long journey here Emma but no very very interesting and I think central to what we're doing and and very important and I think we all need to pay attention to you (laughs) (laughs) flipping heck well that's uh, an immense responsibility but no I yeah, I, I I definitely think it's worth it's worth um, looking into, and 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 I said that I would let you know some of those sort of seminal papers of Shulman. Yes. Um. So, and I guess this is maybe I I would it be all right if this was my something to try 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 dipping into Shulman. Or and something interesting here they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, good. I have got you something interesting okay. that's a bit um that's outside of all of this, but right. um, something to try get your head around pedagogical content knowledge using the following references. Yeah, so there's um, Shulman, 1986, Those Who Understand Knowledge Growth in Teaching. Um, that one, I think you should be able to get that, you know, without too much bother, it shouldn't be behind any paywalls. We'll try and stick a link in the show notes, shall we? See yep. if we can make it more available. Because I think you're right. I think it's probably quite easily accessible, that one. Should be. Um, the other one is 1987, Knowledge and Teaching, Foundations of the New Reform. One that I particularly like is Wilson, Shulman, and I think it's Reichert or Richard, um, 1987, 150 Ways of Knowing, Representations of Knowledge in Teaching. And that is in an edited book, Exploring Teachers Thinking. That one might be trickier to access, but I, if you can, get hold of that because that one's got some of those really interesting um, snippets from pre-service teachers' journals. The 150 Ways of Knowing refers to a bi- biology teacher who he's quoting there as saying, to know how to teach biology is to know 150 different ways of, <laughs> of, of how to come to know the mm. subject. Yes, so I those three. Teaching a low ability maths class at Kisei and realising very early on, it didn't involve me knowing an enormous amount about maths, but it did involve me working out 18 different ways of explaining that thing. Because yeah. every one of them needed it a different way. It was it was good. It was good for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, there's, there's pedagogical content knowledge dynamically happening in action in the classroom. Um, 
so you probably want to know my something interesting yes, as please. well. Um, I haven't been able to do much other reading, um, <laughs> but in the in the gaps, I've been able to listen to two podcasts that I highly recommend. The first one is Nice White Parents. It's from Serial, the, the group that brought the original Serial podcast. I think they were responsible for S-Town as well, which Tom and I really love. Nice White Parents. It's a five-part series about building a better school system, and this is in America, um, and what what gets in the way and uh, it's it's based in New York I'm not going to tell you too much more about it other than I found it incredibly interesting um, and I think you will too and the other one is I am not a monster there are two series of this this is a BBC panorama production it's a podcast form there's also I think a tv version of it I think it's a collaboration between BBC uh, panorama and PBS in America and it's um, Return from Isis, a family's story. So it's a story about a family who upsticks from America to to effectively join Islamic State. And what one journalist, Josh Baker, did to sort of investigate this story um, and to find them. He tried, tries to tries to locate them in Syria. And what ensues after that is absolutely fascinating and the height of excellent journalism, in in my opinion. So those two podcasts, I Am Not a Monster, um, Series 1, and Nice White Parents. Very nice. Thank you, Emma, for agreeing to be grilled first thing in the morning. That's okay, my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And the very, very best of luck with the rest of your Ed D. Um, I think it sounds important and very, very useful. So I shall be encouraging you to keep going. (laughs) I will, I will. Equal measures of pleasure and pain. And good luck to anyone out there who's uh, in the pain cave with me. (laughs) Indeed. And uh, we, as ever, will be back with you in two weeks' time. Take care. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. And the very special guest this episode was Emma Thayer. Thanks, Emma, for putting up with all my questions. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at TalkTeachingPod if you want to come and say hello, or Emma is at ethayer underscore CMU. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Enjoy teaching.